Welcome to the Adoption Chat. I'm Leah and I'm a birth mom. And I'm Mallory. I am a partial adoptee. The Adoption Chat is a place where you will find real stories, tools, and education to help you navigate your own adoption experience no matter what side of the triad you sit on. We are here to challenge and equip you to walk this lifetime journey well. We believe that all sides of the triad have great insight to share and we are here to chat about it. Well, welcome back, everyone, to another chat about adoption. I'm Leah, and I'm one of the co-founders of Woven Together. And I'm Mallory, and I am the other co-founder of Woven Together. Over the next two episodes, we are going to share our stories with you so that you can have a better understanding of who we are, why we serve this community, and how we have overcome many obstacles in our own lives. Today, we're going to go into Leah's story. Yes, we have found that storytelling is so powerful and helps each of us connect with others. My story began when I was 16 years old and found out that I was pregnant at the beginning of my junior year of high school. So Leah, what was that like finding out that you're pregnant at 16 years old? That's pretty young. Yes, I, you know how you are as a teen, you feel um, older than you think you are. And so... Honestly, the naive part of me was like, okay, I'm going to be a mom. So that's exciting. Um, And then eventually reality set in it. So um, it was, I I was at a sleepover with my best friend at that time. And we got a test at Walmart, got it, you know, went into get some snacks and a movie and um, at midnight took the test and it showed up right away. I was about six weeks pregnant. So there was no guessing. It was, it was very clear that I was pregnant, (laughs) but we, you know, immediately went on baby center and um, figured out how far along I was. And I was naively excited and also terrified to tell my parents whenever, you know, the next day or whenever I felt I could get the nerve up to. (laughs) So going into Walmart to get a movie and some snacks, and let me just throw a pregnancy test in the basket as well. That's quite a combination. Yes. Um, Thankfully, we didn't have any adults with us. It was just like, we're going to run in and go get this. So it was a little easier to sneak. And I think I was honestly so broke that she paid for it. Um, And we just, just went in and got it and came right back out and kind of hit it (laughs) along, you know, among our snacks and things. But yeah, it was not, not a enjoyable trip to Walmart. It was very nerve wracking of of, even just feeling the judgment of the lady checking out, uh, you know, those kind of who's going to be seeing me or who, um, who might judge me for this. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that sleepover did not and the way that you guys anticipated in the beginning. So how did your family respond when you ended up telling them? So I lived with my mom and my stepdad at the time. Um, and I waited a few days because it was right around my mom's birthday. And I was like, I'm not going to ruin her birthday. And so there was, there was one day I, she just came home from work and I could not hold it in any longer. And I was just sobbing. And she was like, what is wrong, Leah? What is wrong? And eventually she guessed it. And I just kind of shook my head and nodded and confirmed. Um, and she had me take another test to confirm, like, I know I'm pregnant. And I think overall, she took it really well. It wasn't, you know, she wasn't really angry. She wasn't yelling at me. It was, it was a, as emotional as it was, it wasn't a 
bad, you know, scary experience from, you know, from an anger point of view at that point. But it was, it was, it was definitely difficult. It's a, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of fears. Um, we talked through options and I really just felt like I want to carry this baby. I, I really believe in life. And so I wanted to make sure that, um, that, that value for me was honored that, okay, I could do this. Even, even if I didn't know what was next, I knew I wanted to choose life. And she supported me in that. And we got into counseling right away. So that helped me to, I feel like start healing even before adoption began, where I was going through my pregnancies, working through shame and guilt and the family dramas and tensions that come up with an unplanned pregnancy and, and breakups and all those kinds of things. So that was, that was a good, a good thing that my, my mom did. And I didn't tell my dad until, because we, we lived two hours away. And so we had shared custody and I would go every other weekend. And I think I went a a time or two and still didn't tell them. Um, And they hadn't really guessed. And so eventually I, I was like, okay, I need to tell them. And so I was, it was a good month or two later before I told them. And I told them over the phone and I just, the, the response was, well, thank you for choosing life. You could have chose something different and you chose life. So I was like, okay, that's one good thing that I've done so far out of all this mess that I've made. And so they also were supportive and they were just like, you know, it could have been any of us. We've all made mistakes and there was just a lot of grace extended. And so I really commend all of my parents for that that I felt really supported and loved. Um, even if it was difficult and we had hard conversations, there was anger at times, there was um, all sorts of things, but overall it was a lot of, a lot of grace, which is how um, I feel very fortunate for how they responded overall. Yeah, that's really rare. I worked at a pregnancy center for a while and I mean, we heard story after story of my parents are going to kill me or they're, I can't tell my parents and all of these things. And there were a lot of valid points that the women shared. And, um, it's rare that a family responds in such a graceful way like you had. So you told your family, how did the father, the baby respond? And when did you tell him? So as soon as I got So we, with my best friend that I was with, I, we went from one of her houses to another. And as soon as I got back to, to her dad's house, I called him on the phone. And honestly, I don't remember the conversation. It is gone. It, but I don't remember it being, you know, super happy or obviously like we're 16. This is not an, you know, exciting news at this point. Um, and I, we were broken up at that point as well. So, uh, we had been dating, probably off and on for about nine months. And so we were at a point where it was a breaking point. So it wasn't like, you know, this big happy family thing. It was just like, okay, what are we going to do? But I, that's the, what I, the gist that I remember, but I don't remember any of the other words said. Um, And then I remember talking a, a few days later and he suggested adoption after he had talked to his parents and my immediate reaction was, nope, nope. I love this baby already. I will figure it out myself. I was raised by a single mom. If she can do it, I can do it. And so um, I think we tried to make make things work a little bit, but we were just so different people on different paths. And that's not what God had for me and God had for my birth daughter. So 
that was, it was still difficult at the time because at that time I felt really rejected and I felt very hurt of like, I need you right now. You, you know, you're part of this and you're gone and you can go live your life and have other girlfriends and you can go have fun and nobody has to know. And I, you know, kind of have the scarlet A on my chest <laughs> in a way, in my belly. So it was, I had a lot of anger and, and kind of resentment towards that, that I had to work through as well, which is good for my counseling that I had someone to talk through with that. So he, he really kind of stepped aside at that point and he did everything he needed throughout the pregnancy from a distance through my same counselor and with his family, but I never really saw him anymore after, after, you know, through my pregnancy or until many years later, well, maybe a year later after she was born, I didn't see him again until then. But your family put you into counseling right off the bat. That is extremely supportive, even if they may not have known it at the time. So many women don't get that pre-placement care um, as they're trying to kind of figure out what they want to do, what path they want to take. And you're processing so many other emotions during that time, um, family dynamics, relationship dynamics. And so for them to have put you in counseling and just offered that additional support around you is huge. Did you have any other church support or school support in addition to that? So I finished out my semester at the school I was at. And there I really kept things pretty quiet and we weren't involved in a church in my mom's area. So not really there. But in the a few when I was about three or four months, I decided to move to my dad's house. And I really needed to kind of separate myself from the birth father in that environment. And because I would have panic attacks of like, even if I might see him at school, it was, I was very hard emotionally. And I was like, I just need to separate. I need to have my own space and really needed, I needed a a stable environment to make my decision. And it was getting a little difficult with my mom. We had a lot of tensions. So when I moved there was so many God fingerprints in that. Um, and so much healing was brought from that. And, um, I had two particular teachers, three really that were, I've still are so impacted by their support and their love and just how they kind of tucked me under their wing a little. Well, and even like there's counselors there that were incredible, just and people that I've known from my church past growing up at my dad's house, um, people that they would, there was one that took me out to lunch and would, you know, give me her number and just say, if you ever need to talk, I'm here. Um, she ended up coming to the hospital as well. Just the, those people at school um, were, were wonderful support systems there. And my church was a little... They weren't really involved, but they were definitely supportive and they weren't judgmental. They weren't, they were, you know, would come talk with my family and they came when she was born and, and prayed over us and things like that. But it still was a good experience, even if they weren't as involved as other people. Wow. I know we talk about it often of your story being like a unicorn story, but it's something that is really impactful to see God having his his hand in so many aspects before you even knew what you were going to, what you were going to do. I know you mentioned the father of the baby brought up adoption pretty quickly when you told him you were pregnant. Um, usually it's the girl 
I feel like that talks about adoption first, or at least some of the stories that I've heard. But what what made you start weighing your options? When did that shift happen? It was definitely a process. And like I said, I was very resistant to adoption at first. And I think largely that was because my understanding of adoption was what I had seen around me, which was closed adoptions, whether that was international or domestic or, you know, out of foster care. And so seeing them and their questions they had um, and not being able to find those answers um, until later or if at all, that was really impactful for me as like, I loved her so much that I never wanted her to question, did I love her? Did I not want her? Where is she? Um, and I didn't want to know or have questions of where, where is she? What does she look like? You know, does she hate me? All those things. And so for me, that was my big reason of like, well, I'm going to parent because I, I can control that. But as much as I wanted to parent and I, I loved her and I was willing to sacrifice a lot of things. I was willing to sacrifice going to college or going to prom or dating or any of those things because I wanted to be a good mom. You know, it it just didn't settle right with me. I could not find peace with it and I could not settle down into a plan of this is, this is how I'm going to parent. This is what I need to have in place. And so I found out that she was a girl around 20 weeks or so. And I had already named her. I had bought her, her going home outfit. And it was around that point where I really just felt like God was saying, go talk to people online and go hear their stories. You know, go talk to teen moms and see their, the reality of their struggles and how they balance everything and what you're going to have to balance. And just hearing from people who have walked through adoption, not just from the adoptee side, but from the birth parent side as well. So I found um, a teen mom group and I found an adoption group. And that was incredibly eye-opening to hear people with current adoptions and having open adoptions that I had never heard about before. And just seeing adoptive parents who wanted to have birth parents in their lives and that loved the birth parents of their children and wanted visits and praised them and helped them, you know, pray for them. And just having the, that friendship formed because of this child at the center was incredibly beautiful. And I found a birth mom that was about six months post-placement who also had this really beautiful open adoption and all these open adoptions really modeled what mine became. And so having someone I, I call her my Brianna, my Brie. Um, she, you know, she was just a few years older than me. So we just had a lot in common and see, just having someone a few steps ahead of her, a step to me in her journey helped me to ask her, okay, what do I need to ask families? How do I have an open adoption like this? How do I cope with this decision? How do you survive this heartache? How, how do you survive the hospital empty handed? All these things. She was a huge, huge, huge support system through those, those last few months of my pregnancy, um, especially for the, the first through few years of post-placement. And even now we're still in touch. So that was, that was really when things started to shift was around, um, I would say five or five or five or six months or so is when I just started to explore more and was willing to even consider adoption because I couldn't find peace with parenting. Yeah, that's what we talk to pregnancy centers about often too, is so many think 
you know, when they're talking to a woman in an untimely pregnancy and that initial conversation that she, when she's presented an option that she's either going to go that route or not. And so many women statistically and research shows that they wait until five, six months before they make that decision. And I think that's when, like you said, reality starts setting in, you feel the baby moving, you, you know that you only have about three months left and how am I going to prepare for car seat and daycare and all of these other things that go with it besides, besides the fact that you're having a baby. And so it's really important to continue that conversation, especially if you're a pregnancy center listening to this, continue following up with women that you are connected with and talking to them about their parenting options, either parenting or, or choosing parents. Um, to walk alongside you in the adoption plan. When you were looking for a family, Leah, what were you looking for? What were your must-haves for a family? So it kind of goes back to how I was raised, actually, of, of wanting more for her. Because I grew up with my mom and shared custody with my dad. So I was, you know, back and forth every other weekend, sharing holidays. And I wanted more for her. I, when I started processing more of, of the reality of parenting, I realized that she would have a very similar life to what I grew up in. And it wasn't necessarily a bad life, but as any mom, you're always wanting more for your child. And I don't know if she would have had a father role involved at all. And, you know, hindsight 2020, I feel like that's, that could be why I ended up where I ended up, um, of looking to boys and attention and, and, you know, love in the wrong places to, um, to feel good about myself or any of those things. So that's, I feel like how I ended up pregnant for part of a reason why. So I really felt this deep desire for her to have a dad and that would involve, uh, adoption for me. I really felt called to adoption in that I, the Lord was saying, I got you and I trust me with your plan for her and for you. And I have the perfect family and it, it will make beauty from ashes. You've just got to trust me. And so with choosing the family, I felt I needed a Christian mom and dad to raise her. How, if I was, if I was in my thirties and I was married and if I could raise her exactly in a healthy way, that I could as an adult, what would that look like? And so that would be a Christian mom and dad. And um, with me growing up being a, an only child, I really desired that family um, with a sibling so that she would have that sibling relationship that I really was missing growing up. Um, so those were kind of the basic things along with that open adoption of us wanting that same kind of relationship. And for me being in the same state, within a few hours of each other so we could have a day trip or, you know, not have to hop on a plane to see her was really, really important to me. So that was what I set out looking for with, with my social worker. And they were the very first ones that I found. That was going to be my next question. How did you know that you had found the one? So you had this criteria. What made you connect with them? So I, the pictures I remember flipping through first and back then it was really simplified. Um, some were like legit scrapbooks, you know, from like the, the 2000 scrapbooks were the thing. Um, so some had that kind of phase going on in there, but I think the couple I chose 
hadn't even got to that point and they were, maybe they were just beginning in their journey. I'm not really sure, but it was just a two page letter to me and a flip book of, you know, pictures printed out. And so I flipped through the pictures just to get an idea of what they looked like and who was writing to me. And immediately the first picture I felt connected to because they reminded me of my dad and my stepmom and that they, she had long brown hair and they all had, you know, brown hair, blue eyes, and the same kind of dog that I had grown up with at my dad's house. And little things like that just kept popping out at me that were, they, they reminded me of my family and kind of home and their son was three at the time. And so seeing the love that they had and um, the fun they were having and just, I could just start picturing my baby girl in their home because of just their love in those pictures. And then their letter was, you know, a lot like what we do um, or what we see of, you know, their hobbies and interests and a little bit of their jobs and things like that. But what really stood apart was their last paragraph was spent loving me and blessing me, which I don't remember seeing in other, the other books that I saw. And it was the first time I really felt seen or heard or valued from someone offering to, to parent my child, which I had a lot of offers through well-meaning people through my pregnancy. And it was very cringy before it was very like, let me make my decision. This is my baby. But they were so, um, even from their profile, just very sensitive and very kind of hands off, but still offering, if that makes sense. And that was, that was really special to me and just felt like genuinely their heart of who they were as people and meeting them in person really helped confirm that for me. 16 years ago, that was kind of unheard of being so sensitive to an expectant mom and, you know, recognizing her for who she is, not the person that she's carrying and all of these things. That's, that's really a new concept. Um, open adoption. Now it's become the norm. So it's really amazing that they were that way when you connected with them. Was the father involved in choosing the family? I know you said he kind of did things from a distance after your last conversation with him. He was not involved in choosing. I feel like I had kind of full reign in that. I'm sure that he's probably saw it. I don't really know what went on in, in their counseling room, but I had full control of it. Well, I'm glad that he allowed you to kind of take those steps that you felt led to do and, you know, took part in the way that he knew to take part. And it's hard as a 16 year old boy to step into a very grown up decision. Um, once you kind of read through the profile and found the family that you wanted to connect more with, how did you cultivate or how did they cultivate that relationship with you while you were still pregnant? Yeah, it started, you know, with an interview of just making sure that we're all on the same page and meeting in person face to face. And I had a whole list of questions of thinking through if I could parent, what would I want that to look like? And what, how would I want her to be raised? And asking a ton of questions of how do you discipline? What is your church like? What is your neighborhood like? What is your extended family like? You know, how did you know that you, that you love each other and you're the ones and what's your marriage like, and, you know, looking for stability and all those kinds of things. And, um, 
in that, that interview, I like to describe it as kind of like when you find a soulmate or your best friend where your soul just connects and clicks and it feels exciting, even if it's scary, um, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but it was, it felt right. It felt peaceful. And, you know, with their son and their adoption story, it looked a little different than ours, but it set us up to being on the same page of wanting the same things with the same openness and being willing to do what, whatever that takes to, to kind of fight for that and work through it. That meant a lot to me. And I felt like I could trust them from that very first meeting because, you know, they expressed the differences that they'd seen in other adoptions and they wanted the same thing. Um, and it was in that meeting that her dad said, you're an important piece to her life puzzle. And we want you here to help fill in these pieces that we can't. So again, just feeling like I had a place and I had value and worth and that, you know, I was going to be a part of their family too. And in, in a way, so that that's where our, our journey kind of began as a, in a relationship. And we spent the last few months getting to know each other. I decided I picked them at seven months. And so we had two months to really talk through what does this look like for us and the expectations we have. And we made an adoption agreement that was kind of bare minimum of what we knew we could promise to each other. Um, and you know, what visits could we guarantee and those kinds of things. And, um, yeah, we used that time to talk through her name and what that would look like and what might she call me, all those kinds of things. But it was definitely emotional. It was it was hard knowing what was ahead, but it also brought me peace knowing that she was going to be in good hands and that um, they were so open to so many areas of including me into their lives, even decorating the nursery that they asked me to be a part of. Just little things like that. As you said before, they were just, it was really kind of revolutionary back then to be so inclusive. And it was, it, it was, it was nice. It, was, it made me feel special too. I love that you shared the story. I've heard you share it often of how her quote unquote adopted dad, just to clarify for mm -hmm. uh, the podcast sake, but um, how he said you were such an important piece, a puzzle piece to her life and that they were making a commitment to you too. Um, you mentioned an open adoption agreement. Not many people probably know what that is. There are some states that recognize that as a legal binding document, but most don't. Can you share just a little bit of what that looks like for your specific adoption triad? Yeah, so... I felt led to create this, even though it was, was not and is not legally binding in North Carolina, where I was. Um, but it felt like a piece of that trust builder that we're talking through things. We know what we're expecting of each other, not just what I'm expecting of them, but what they expect of me. And it was just thinking through our schedules, um, our, our emotional weight of adoption. Um, what can we promise to each other at the minimum? And we can always go above and beyond, but what's the basic we can expect? And so for us, that was two visits a year. So every summer, every December, we always have a visit. And in between that, we promised all the other forms of communication. So we, in the early days, we did a lot of pictures, emails, a lot of phone calls. And then we, and now we do a lot of texting because technology has advanced or we'll, we'll do FaceTime and things like that too. Um, 
And then we promised that if we moved or changed our number, that we would update with the new information. So we, you know, the goal is to not disappear and not be like, well, where is she and where are they? So that was, that was it for us. That was what we felt like we knew we could uphold and it would maintain our relationship to some degree. And we had that signed and notarized, which again, would not hold up legally, but it felt like a, a even more of a commitment for, for me to them and them to me that we mean this, we're signing our name on this and we promise this not, you know, to each other, but especially for her that this, we knew this was going to be important for her story one day. I love that. I love that you guys took that step and one that isn't legally binding, but it's, it basically is in your heart. (laughs) Um, I love that you guys did that. And I wish more states would make that a requirement. Um, I know a few states, I believe Georgia, I've heard a few different things, but I believe, I believe Georgia is now one that it is a legal document. I'll need to double check on that. But if you're listening and you're a hopeful adoptive parent, write that on your list to make sure that you do with a mom that you connect with. Um, Like I said, even if it's not something that legally binds in your own state, it's something that you can both feel like you've made a commitment to each other saying, we're going to do this and it's written down and it's notarized or anything else that you feel like would make a good seal to that part of your journey. Okay, so shifting to the hospital experience, what was that like for you guys? Um, it was uh, bittersweet. <laughs> it's really exciting because I was ready to not be pregnant. You know, it's physically um, painful and exhausting. Um, I was ready to kind of have my body back and sleep better and all those things. But I also was dreading it too because, like, these are my last moments with her being mine alone. And so there was a lot of that kind of tug and war between I'm ready. I'm not ready, but they come whether you're ready or not. (laughs) Um, so that's what it was like going into it, but I chose to have them at the hospital, but not in the room because I needed, um, my mom and my stepmom for those kind of intimate support, you know, during delivery. But I, really wanted them there to meet her right away and for them to have bonding time um, and to include them into the process as well. That's what I wanted. Um, expectant moms should have whatever choice feels good for them. And we advocate that and we have a hospital guide for that to help think through that. But that's what I talk through with my social worker beforehand. It's like, this is what I, what feels right for me. And I'm, I really valued having their support there through the hospital. They kind of were in and out whenever I wanted them there. They would leave when I needed to rest or just needed quiet or what just wanted time with her. Um, and I, I wasn't afraid to hold her. I wasn't afraid to love on her. I wasn't afraid to feed her a bottle or, or bond with her because I already felt so bonded and loved her so much. And I wanted to make sure that I treasured up all these moments that I could while we were together Um, so that I wouldn't have regrets of like, I wished I had, um, and I wanted her to, to feel loved and to still smell me and all those things in the beginning. And through all that, I still had this deep, deep peace and just supernatural strength that carried me through that knowing that she was meant to be their child. And that was the first words that came out of my mouth when she was born. Um, and like, I, I just knew. So 
that carried me through everything, even with the grief of what was coming, even with all the tears, with all the joy. Um, it was really a because I felt so supported by my family. Um, Brianna that I had met online drove 13 hours to be by my side as a birth mom to, with a birth mom. So that was incredibly helpful to have someone who knew what it was like to sign those papers. And she was there beside me and crying with me. You know, those just those soul connections that nobody can truly understand your pain unless they've been there. And she had been there and she was willing to come so far to be a support for me. So that was incredible. And, you know, my church came there. I mentioned before we had a little ceremony um, and, you know, lots of family came to meet her before she went home. And so I really felt overall just the sense of protection and peace and beauty, even with all the heartache that was, that was coming, which I hear from other birth mom stories. That's, that's not always the case. And so I feel very blessed and fortunate for the people who surrounded me with all that grace and love and, and support. Did the birth father ever come to the hospital during that time? No, he didn't. None of his family did. I believe they met a few weeks after, a few months after, um, and maybe with the social worker. So, um, but I wasn't involved with that. So as your time at the hospital is coming to a close, I know that was probably a really, again, bittersweet moment. What did that feel like as you were getting to those final hours, those final moments with your daughter? What Can you kind of play that out for us so that we know what that looked like for your journey? Well, it's a little different for me, I feel like, because I... I was discharged first and that was right around the point where I signed the relinquishment papers. And one amazing thing that her adoptive parents did in those moments was they, you know, sat me down completely alone and said, if you don't want to do this, you don't have to do this. And really holding open their hand loosely and being willing to let this, you know, quote, gift go if it wasn't the right thing for me. And that, again, just showed genuinely their character and their heart for me and their heart for this baby and wanting the best for this baby and for me, even more so than their desires. So them offering that back to me was really um, helpful for me to walk away not having regrets because I had a chance to change my mind and I didn't feel pressure from anybody around me or from them. And it really just reaffirmed my decision in them as people and trusting them as people and um, in adoption, because I felt like my decision was completely between me and God. And um, I still just had peace. So from there, when I was discharged, we had another day. She had to stay to, to be looked after for a thing or two. Um, and that was a really incredible time because her adoptive mom came and stayed with me. So we had kind of like a sleepover in a sense and took turns taking care of her and feeding her and holding her and us just getting to know each other on an even more intimate like friendship level. So um, that was a lot of joy. Um, and then just walking out of the hospital, um, I mean, we ended with pictures and they, you know, we went outside to the garden and we, we took pictures of every, you know, every family member with her that were there, my social worker. And 
I remember her adoptive dad saying months later, like, I could not believe the smile she had on her face. Like it was unreal. It was, you would think she would be a mess, but she was just smiling and happy. And that was true because I was so confident in my decision, even knowing the heartache uh, and feeling that I still knew I was doing the right thing and that this was a really beautiful, you know, new chapter for the two of us. So it was, it was definitely difficult, you know, saying goodbye to her car and, and parting ways at that point and starting that, really starting that grieving process. Um, but I had counseling for at least a good solid year still. And again, the supportive family um, around me really helped too. That's incredible that you had such a unique support system, whether it was with your counselor who was a non-biased party or it was with uh, the relationships that you were building with her parents at that time, and then your your parents and um, those surrounding you. That's amazing. It makes such a world of difference to have support. Not many women have that. Just dynamics look different for each birth mom. Um, but I know that makes such a big, big difference overall in the healing process. Um, can you share a little bit of what those first few months after placement were like? And did you have much communication with them when when you were processing, you know, a month out, two months out? We had a lot of contact. Um, I think it goes just back to that we both really wanted that friendship as our foundation. Um, and, you know, and, and being so much younger than them, it also was kind of this mentor in my life um, that I wanted, I wanted their approval. I wanted, um, I wanted to learn from them. And, you know, our agreement was two times a year. So technically I shouldn't have saw, seen her until six months later, but we had visits within the first week. Um, and we had, you know, phone calls within days of like updates of, you know, this was her doctor visit. Um, and just keeping me up to date really was helpful. They were just so, um, intentional about keeping me up to date and including me in those, those things that were important to me. Um, and the first three years or so we had visits pretty much every month. And that was really helpful for my healing to see her so often and watch her grow. And she was happy and thriving, but also for us to have a lot of time building our foundation of our relationship as adoptive parent and birth parent. And again, that mentor role too, of helping me go into adulthood with a, a healthier, you know, new chapter and using it wisely. So I know you mentioned that you saw, um, her with them about a week after. I know I also hear from a lot of hopeful adoptive parents say they were to travel out of state and they have ICPC time. So they're sitting there in the state um, waiting to be approved to go back to their home state and um, say that, you know, the birth mom reached out saying, hey, can I see the baby? Or they something has happened and they're like, I don't know what to do. I don't want her to be upset or I don't want her to change her mind. What would you tell to those families? I would say be open to it and trust God with whatever that is. And for me, um, in my state, I was, that first visit was within my legal revocation period where I could legally change my mind if I want to. I could have gone to that visit and said, you know what, I changed my mind 
and I could have revoked it. But they were willing to take that risk and they were scared. They were nervous. They were feeling all those feelings, but they did it anyway and they allowed it anyway because they wanted the best for me and they wanted to make sure I was confident in my decision. And therefore that overflows to their story and her security um, in her story. And they did it anyway. And that visit was really, really confirmation again for me of seeing her in her house with her environment, with her new family. And I just remember walking away going, okay, this is good. I love this. This feels right. And it was helpful for my journey to accept it and to move on into the healing process and them not stepping in fear and stopping it was a big part of that. Yeah. There might be a chance that she changes her mind. It can be scary. You've bonded with this baby for a few days and you know, you've had this time as a family and, and the thought of that, but just knowing that you are stepping in and saying, we love you. We're supporting you. It's the continuation of that time that you've probably have with her before placement happens. So just continuing that love and support and care. And if she does change her mind, you've done everything you can to support her in a way that she probably wouldn't have had um, before your relationship. So I'm going to shift again. Now that you have children and you parent, you're, you're parenting them and you're married, how has your relationship evolved Um, and kind of how has everybody's relationship evolved? Yeah, it's, it's definitely had seasons of ebbs and flows and sometimes it's been less and sometimes it's been more. And we're, um, the early years were the most contact, um, or visits that we had. Um, but now when it started to shift, when she turned about 13 or so, and she got a phone and she just started desiring that more one-on-one contact with me and getting to know me more and vice versa. And so now we, we text all the time. Um, we share funny stories. We have, you know, we've, we've really leaned into what she's asking for at this point of she's old enough to, to say, I need this or I want this within reason. And um, she's kind of said, you know, quarterly would work better for me than just two times a year. So we aim for probably one every season and they can look different. Sometimes it's one-on-one time with me. Sometimes it's a trip with my whole family. We've been able to take her to the beach. Um, sometimes she just comes and hangs out with us in the summer and, and with my kids that I parent, that's incredibly helpful for their relationship as siblings to, to grow and bond together. Um, they are so much alike, so they love having that time with her too. Yeah, I really want to learn more about um, their relationship and how they connect. Can you share a little bit of what that's been like? Well, especially my oldest, my oldest two that I parent, they're a little bit closer to her age. Um, and they just have a lot in common. So they, um, they FaceTime a lot and they draw together and it's definitely complex. They feel a lot of the feelings that I feel. Um, they miss her and they want to know why can't she just come visit or, um, why can't she live with us? And, you know, hard questions like that come up. Um, but we, you know, we work through it together and, 
just understand that this is the plan that God has for us. And we are so grateful for the time that we do get with her. Does your extended family, I know you said that y'all have pictures and things like that at the end of the hospital time. Um, does your extended family have any contact with the daughter that you place? So they're usually involved on the two visits a year, um, where it's usually a really big, almost like a reunion, it feels like, because there's so many people involved. Um, sometimes even my in-laws come to it because, you know, they love her parents too and vice versa. And, um, you know, her grandparents come and um, it's, it's, it can look different every year, but they, they do love on her as much as possible whenever they can um, or exchange gifts or send cards and pictures and things like that. I love that they've been involved. I, I know you shared many stories about Christmas time and how it's a big family reunion. And um, it's really just another form of blended family. I know you've said that many times as well. So as we wrap up, what are three things you would encourage families to think about before pursuing adoption or if they're in those early stages? Um, the first thing is educate yourself. <laughs> um, really think through um, and listen to different stories. Think through why you were adopting. Really think through your biases and your stereotypes that you're battling, any jealousies. Work through grief and loss that you are experiencing that have led you to, to adoption, perhaps. Um, there's so many things that go into adoption and complexities, and you have to be willing to step outside of yourself and your desires a lot of times to do what is best for the child or to love on the birth parent that's in their life. And so, you know, shameless plug here, the Woven Together course dives into all those kinds of things to get you started and picking an ethical fam, um, ethical professional to help make sure that the birth parent is really loved on well legally and ethically too. Yeah, I'm not above a shameless plug. <laughs> Um, thank you so much, Leah, for diving deeper with us about your story. I have learned a lot. Um, I know I've heard a lot before, but I've also learned a lot here. And I know others will um, be able to learn a lot as well. Thank you. It's always um, an honor to share what God has done in my life and in her life. And I hope that others are encouraged by it um, and that I mean, people can hear that adoption can be beautiful, even with all the pain that it does come with it too. It's both and, like you said last time, and it's bittersweet. And I love sharing all that God has done in our life for His glory. So next time we will hear your story, Mallory, and I can't wait to hear more and learn more from you too, even though, you know, you're my best friend, but there's always more to learn. <laughs> so join us for our chat next time. <laughs>